Preaching Chapel Roswell. I'm so glad that each and every one of you is with us. I know it's the Sunday before Thanksgiving. A lot of folks are on the road. A lot of people are traveling. And I'm grateful that each and every one of you decided to worship with us this morning. As you can see on the big screen, we've got game show going on. This morning, we wrap up the three-part series known as Game Show. Each week, we've looked at a popular television game show. And then we tie it in to the good news of Jesus and the truth of God's word through scripture. Now, this morning, I'm going to invite someone to come up as we play Wheel of Fortune ever so quickly, but here's what we have going on, okay? We do have valuable prizes this morning. I kid you not, I am totally 100% honest and sincere. This morning, one lucky person is going to win, true story, a brand new Toyota. Do you believe me? I am telling the truth. So, let's invite a contestant coming up, uh, let's say over there, Mark, come on up. This is Mark Diaz. Welcome, my friend. Mark uh, wearing the, uh, the Roswell green. He's a football coach at Roswell High School, so it's good to have him up here. Uh, you can see the big board over here. Not the big board, but the big wheel. And you see different colors, different prizes, different emotions are listed on the wheel. We'll talk more about that in a matter of mere moments. But here is the deal, okay? If you, you spin the wheel, if it lands on yellow, purple, or red, you win a brand new Toyota. I'm, I'm dead, I'm not serious. I mean, I'm serious, no, I'm not kidding. Go ahead. You want red or yellow? Okay, one more spin. We want to give away the car. Okay, should we give him another chance? There is grace after all. Okay, yellow, red, or blue? A Toyota is at stake here. Okay, one more spin, okay? We gotta give this away. Okay. I promised a brand new Toyota, and here it is. You can check out the big screen. Here is what he is getting a toy Yoda. So. Congratulations, my friend. You're responsible for all the taxes, okay? All right, gave away a brand new toy, Yoda. I love that. Okay, this morning, though, we're looking at Wheel of Fortune. Wheel of Fortune is the second most popular game show in the country behind Jeopardy. Okay, it's been on the air since 1975. It features contestants trying to solve word problems. They can win cash and big prizes, and those are determined by how they spin the wheel. Contestants spin the wheel, you never know what's going to come up. Maybe it's something good, maybe it's something bad. But up here, you see a myriad of human emotions. How does that tie into our scripture this morning? Because I promise you, it does. Uh, you see, when you spin the big wheel, some are going to bring about maybe celebration. Uh, but other spins of the wheel are going to bring about maybe dreaded moans and groans. And, and truthfully, uh, life can be like that at times. Uh, we're not quite sure what, what maybe is waiting around the bend or maybe behind that closed door. This wheel features, like I said, several human emotions. We have joy, we have anger, sadness, happiness, excitement, fear, and then you see a couple times it repeats itself. And, and again, life is like that. Sometimes you're going to be in one emotion. Maybe in a matter of mere moments, you're going to be in another. In life, we're going to encounter so many different emotions. Some are welcomed and honestly, some we want to avoid. But here they are on the big wheel. 
Now, let me introduce you to a young man. His name is Austin Hatch. He played college basketball at the University of Michigan. And Austin Hatch has an incredible, powerful story to tell. Austin grew up in a very close-knit Christian family in Indiana. He had loving parents, a wonderful sister, a loving, doting little brother. Austin's father was a successful doctor. And the family lived in Indiana, but they had a cabin up in Michigan. His family even owned a small private airplane, and Austin's father had his private pilot's license. When Austin was eight years old, the family climbed aboard the single-engine beach craft, and they headed up to their cabin in Michigan. But shortly before landing, the instrument panel went dark. His dad asked Austin to take out a, uh, a flashlight and to shine it on the instruments to see what was going on. And, and when they did that, all of a sudden, the engine started to sputter, and then the engine totally went out. Uh, the small plane started to fall from the sky, and just south of the airport, it hit a utility pole. It caused the single-engine Beechcraft to break into pieces. Austin was knocked unconscious. His father was able to get him and, and basically toss him out of the airplane before he died. But sadly, Austin and his father, they did survive, but, but his mother died, his little brother died, and his sister died. Sad story for Austin Hatch. Now, many, many years later, his father met a, a wonderful Christian woman. Uh, they got married, and, and this was the blended family coming together. She had two daughters of her own. Of course, Austin's dad had their son, Austin, and, and they were just a close-knit family. Honestly, their family gelled far more quickly, far greater than anyone ever could have imagined. In fact, the, uh, the new mother, the stepmother, actually adopted Austin. The father adopted her two young girls. Now, Austin was an amazing basketball player. His father had taught him how to play basketball. They played in the yard, in the driveway all the time. And in high school in Indiana, Austin emerged as one of the best players in the state. And when he was a sophomore, he was just tearing it up on the basketball court. And he was offered a scholarship to the University of Michigan. It was one of the highlights of his young life, only still a sophomore. And his family was excited to celebrate with him. Nine days later, Austin and his father and his stepmother, now his adopted mother, they boarded another private plane that his father was piloting. They were headed again to the family cabin up in Michigan. But as they approached the airport, they hit some really rough weather. They were uh, diverted to another airport, and just north of the airport, uh, the plane tumbled out of the sky. His father was killed. His new mom was killed. Doctors said that it was nothing short of miraculous that Austin survived the plane crash. He suffered severe brain trauma. He also had broken ribs, a fractured sternum, two broken collarbones, a broken hip, several holes in his lungs, and he was in a coma for two months. He had to learn afterwards how to walk again. It was a daunting task that, looked, that, that took almost a year. He worked with physical therapists then after he learned to walk because he wanted to learn to run. And once he was able to, to learn how to run, he wanted to learn how to play basketball again. He would work with trainers every morning before his junior and senior years of high school. And so here's this teenager, Austin Hatch, who survived two plane crashes. He saw his father killed, his mother killed, his new mother killed, his brother killed, and his sister killed, and he nearly died himself. 
But through hard work and perseverance, he did learn to walk again, and he learned how to play basketball again. And the basketball coach at the University of Michigan still honored the scholarship, even though Austin Hatch was no longer a really good player. He worked hard in, uh, in college. He went to extra practices. He went the extra mile uh, to, to take his place on the Michigan basketball team. And in one game early in the season, the Wolverines were up by more than 40 points, and they let Austin go in to play. He had very limited playing time, only appeared in a couple of games for less than a minute each game. Only played, like I said, for about a minute and a half in that first game, and he was fouled as he was taking a shot, so, so he got to go to the free throw line. Uh, the, the crowd, they, they were on their feet. It was an exciting time as, as his first action back on the basketball court, and now he had the chance to make a basket. He made his first free throw, and the, the, the fans erupted. He did miss his next one, uh, but he still made a basket for him. That was a huge accomplishment. Austin Hatch, he, he looks back at his life and he says, you know what, I've been blessed. How can that be? Two, two plane crashes. His coach once asked Austin, what, what keeps you so motivated? Because unfortunately, you're not going to start. And Austin said, you know what, I'm going to work really hard because I think this is what I'm needed to do. This is what I'm called to do. And you know, coach, I've had two really bad days in my life. But aside from those days, I have been blessed. Wow, we, we don't know what, what life is going to throw at us. We're going to have some good days. We're going to have some bad days. But regardless of what we face, regardless of what we encounter, God offers us something far more valuable than prizes and money on the wheel of fortune. Our scripture this morning takes us to the gospel of Matthew. Jesus often used parables to teach the large crowds who were following him. But, but with this parable this morning, Jesus is talking solely and simply to his disciples. The, uh, the word parable, it literally means something cast beside. Something cast beside. Because after all, when you put two things side by side, you can compare them. You can contrast them. So in this parable, Jesus is talking about something seemingly ordinary, but there's a deep-rooted scriptural and theological truth connected. At times, the parables defy human logic or human understanding. And when Jesus would speak on the, the, the various topics on which he spoke in the form of parables, two-thirds of his parables were about one thing, and that is the kingdom of God, often referred to as the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God, important to notice, okay? Because again, two-thirds of Jesus' parables were about this. What, what does that mean, the kingdom of God? Well, first, in Matthew, it's referred to not as the kingdom of God, but as the kingdom of heaven. Same thing, they're synonymous, but Matthew was a very devout Jewish man. And in Jewish culture, the name of God, Yahweh, okay, was so sacred that they wouldn't even write it. Okay, they would put maybe one letter, and that would have to represent God because they couldn't write out his name. So Matthew doesn't want to use the term kingdom of God, so instead he uses kingdom of heaven. Now, very often we may assume that the kingdom of heaven, that's where we go when we die. We have eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. But you know what? The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, it's not simply about the future. It's about a present reality. 
I mean, think about a kingdom. A kingdom has a ruler, a, a king or a queen or a prince or a princess or a, a dictator. Okay, there's a ruler when you talk about a kingdom. And so the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is a life in which we allow God to be the ruler. God is reigning. God is in charge. And if we are living out the kingdom of God, we're living a life in which we surrender control to our heavenly Father. So let's go to Matthew chapter 13, uh, verses 44, 45, and 46. Again, talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then his joy went and he sold all that he had and he bought that field. And again, Jesus goes into another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and he bought it. So a life in which we allow God to be in control, a life in which we allow God to truly reign, Jesus says, is like a treasure hidden in a field. What, what does this mean? Well, the region known as Palestine, okay, it was the, the most fought-after real estate, the most fought-after you know, patch of, of large land that, that I think the world has ever known. And, and when war was going on or when there was a threat of attack, uh, the people, in their haste to, to get out of town, to go somewhere safe, they would take their belongings, they couldn't carry them with them, and so they would bury them in the ground, hoping that one day they'd be able to come back and retrieve those valuable items. And so a treasure is something that is of worth. And Jesus compares the kingdom of God to something that's valuable, to a treasure. Remember, the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, a life in which we surrender our control to God. And so Jesus tells the parable of the treasure, and then he continues by talking about something else that's incredibly valuable, a pearl. And so in the parable, Jesus says that a merchant is looking for fine pearls, and, and he finds one. And when he does, that pearl is so valuable that he sells everything else that he has so that he can find more pearls like this. What do we know, Joe, about pearls? And how does it tie into Wheel of Fortune? Uh, well, on the, the game show, contestants, they, they would seek something of value, something that they want, something that maybe they think they need. And Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of God is the same way. A life with God is something of value, something of eternal worth, and something that we want, truly something that we need. Now, now granted, not everyone understands that that relationship with God is something that they need or something that they want. But as humans, we do crave certain things, hope and joy and love and a future. And those things, I believe, can only come through Christ. A pearl is something that's worth a lot. Why? Be because they're so rare. You see, a pearl, and a lot of you know this already, it's found inside of an oyster, an oyster is a living being, and sometimes a grain of sand or maybe a parasite will get inside the oyster. It gets into the small opening and, and, and finds its way inside of the oyster, and, and it causes a, a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort. And there's no way to, to spit out this 
toxin or, or this grain of sand. And so in order to soothe the pain, the oyster secretes a smooth coating that covers up the parasite or that grain of sand. Now, this still doesn't ease the pain that this oyster is going through. So again and again, this process over and over and over again, it coats that intrusion until finally, after a while, it molds in or it forms a pearl. So as far as an oyster is concerned, the, uh, the pearl is nothing more than, than suffering. It suffers to produce something of value. It's estimated that you would have to go through 10,000 oysters before you can find just one pearl inside. And that gem has an amazing beauty. It holds great value, all because the oyster had to go through a lot of suffering. I don't know about you. I, I know in my life I... I don't like suffering. I do all that I can to avoid it. Uh, but as we encounter a myriad of human emotions in the course of a given day, a given week, given month, given year, we're going to find things that at times lead to suffering. Certainly, we're going to find things that lead to discomfort. Some of the spins that we have on the wheel of fortune are good, and, and some are not so good. But regardless of what we face, according to Scripture, we have the assurance of God's peace. We have the assurance of God's hope. And so we live out our faith in this dualism, okay? The, the kingdom of God, allowing God to reign. It's kind of a dual type of thing. We're continually torn between two cultures, the, the culture of our society, the, the culture of our world, and then a culture in which we allow God to rule. And I'll be honest with you, I often look at Jesus and say, yeah, Jesus He's my savior. But, but do I think about Jesus as Lord, as the ruler of my life? I truly believe that saying yes to Jesus and his offer of salvation and forgiveness and eternal life is the greatest decision one will ever make. But, but each day, really, truly, each moment, each decision, we face that opportunity to say yes to Jesus as Lord or to say yes to something else. And sadly, I think many followers of Jesus, many Christians, they, they focus simply on Jesus as the Savior. Yeah, we, we like the forgiveness. We like the grace. We like the mercy. We love the promise of eternal life. But you know what? We live in a world, at times we live in a dark world. We certainly live in a fallen world where people are looking at us as people of faith. And are we living lives that are truly different, not because of our own talents or abilities, but because of the presence of the Holy Spirit within us and the movement and the claim and the calling of God? Are you living a life that's different? Am I living a life that's different? And sadly, at times, there's little distinction between someone who's a Christian and someone who is not. Think about people of faith, people who are followers of Jesus that you know. Do, do they make better bosses? Do they make better employees? Do they make better neighbors? Do these followers of Christ that you know, do they make better husbands or better wives, better coaches or teachers or politicians? Because there's a huge difference between simply saying, yes, I believe in Jesus. He is my Lord. And then claiming to say, Jesus is the one who I'm going to surrender control to so he can rule and reign in my life. And truly and truthfully, I think that every aspect of Jesus' ministry was lived outside 
of his comfort zone. And you know what? He calls you and I to do the same. See, Scripture, God, Jesus, calls us to bring justice into a world where there's a lot of injustice going on. Jesus was deliberate. Jesus was intentional about seeking those who are oppressed. He went out of his way to bring hope to the poor. Are we? There are so many ways in which God is calling us to step out of that comfort zone. But, but, but let's face it. Let's face it. It's so much easier for us to ignore than it is to address. Again, it's so much easier to ignore than it is to address. I'm a follower of Jesus. But am I truly living out the kingdom of God in my life? Are my neighbors blessed because of my presence in their lives? Are the poor in my community blessed because of my presence in this community? Are the widows and the orphans and the imprisoned able to experience hope because of my presence in their lives? Are the hurting and the hopeless blessed because my life is intersecting with theirs? Are those who are lonely in my community less lonely because of my presence in their lives, because of God's presence in my life? Jesus made no bones about it, okay? He said to follow him would bring about pain and persecution and oppression. But he promised a life with him also brought about hope and peace and a purpose that we can't find outside of Christ. On a game show, people, they battle for prizes. And in a way, following Jesus leads to something valuable. In fact, in the book of Philippians, the author, the apostle Paul, he urges us to press on toward the prize. To press on toward that prize. Is the prize heaven? Uh, yeah. But more specifically, he's talking about the presence of God here and now in your life and in mine. Press on toward the prize. And truthfully, on a, a game show, you're not going to win and, unless you play. And I think in our faith, we're, we're called to, to be actively engaged in uh, pursuing the one who has pursued us. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? Is my family better off because Jesus is in my life? Is my community better off? My, my ministry better off? My my friends and neighborhood and community better off? Am I engaged in following the one who has pursued me? And that's a decision that you and I make every moment of every day. Will you pray with me? Dear most gracious and loving God, we thank you so much for the ways in which you are at work in our lives. Lord God, may we look for, may we recognize, may we appreciate all of the ways in which you are leading us into a deeper relationship with you. Lord, because of your presence in our lives, give us the strength, give us the courage to boldly go to people and places that we wouldn't go to if you were not in our lives. And Lord God, may those around us experience the love that you have for us because of the love that we are showing them. We live our lives knowing that each person is of sacred worth to you. May we truly desire to live out the kingdom of God 
a life, Lord, in which we focus on following you and not merely the ways of the world. May our relationships, our homes, our families, our schools, our workplaces, our communities be blessed through us by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Whenever we hear the word of God, whenever we come into to worship, God gives us ample opportunities, a myriad of opportunities to serve. It's through our presence. It's through our worship. It's through our service. And also scripture says it's through our giving. Our, our giving, it fuels the mission and the ministry of Chapel Roswell. And you can see on the big screens several different ways in which you can give. You're giving, it fuels, like I said, life-changing ministry that affects people not only in our community, but beyond and in our world. Thank you, Lord, for the love that he has for each and every one of us.